Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. How many people just love to be judged by God? Can I see your hands? Maybe you're online this morning and you like to be judged by God. There's nobody in the room that appears to want to be judged by God. So maybe you want to be judged by God. If you could just put in the uh, chat information, I encourage you to share the service this morning. I want to welcome all of our platforms online. And if you are someone that likes to be judged by God, we want to hear from you. Because, Steve, I don't like to be judged by God. And as a parent of five children, I've never had a child that liked to be judged by me. But here's the reality, Ryan. Judgment from God is essential to real relationship with him. I can't be in real relationship, Josh, with a holy God and him never judge my life. Amen? And so when judgment comes into my life, and what's interesting is be very careful. Be very careful thinking you see judgment from God in other people's lives. Look for it in your life. Look for it in your real relationship with Christ. Look for it in your moments in your life. And today, we're going to answer the question, why does God judge his children? I want to invite you today to take your program, your Bible, or your internet device, Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 today. Joel chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, he says this, Blow a trumpet in Zion, in Jerusalem. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is, somebody say it, it's near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people, their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. So what is going on here? Joel is looking into the future. And he is seeing a great army, the Assyrian army, that is going to come and judge Israel because of her unfaithfulness to God and to the covenant that they share with him. Now also, as he looks into the future, he also unknowingly, I think, and this is just my opinion, whenever God speaks... 
I find that the most difficult thing is not determining whether God spoke, but what in the world did he mean by what he said? And in the prophets, what we learn is in the Old Testament, they, like us, thought when they wrote things down that it was going to probably happen in their lifetime. Who doesn't? Who doesn't think that, that God's going to do what he's going to do, and he's going to do it immediately? And quite frankly, it's how we think as humans is that we think in terms of just our existence on this earth. But see, God actually has called you to a purpose that will actually extend beyond your existence on this earth because you will spend eternity either in heaven or hell and you will be a player in the eternal stage of God's purpose. And you will fulfill a purpose, you ready? Even after you're dead. Matter of fact, your purpose may be more important to God's story after you've taken your last breath on this earth and you've gone to be with him. Amen? And so as you live for God, you're not just living for the breath that you'll take here. You're also living for the fact that there is a great day, the day of the Lord, which is the final day, the final day of judgment. And there are moments of judgment in our lives that lead up to the great day. And whenever God judges you, just assume that it's something good that he's trying to do in your life so that you can avoid the great judgment that's coming on that final day. Now, in my devotions, the day that I wrote this message, look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 23. May the Lord make us keep our promises to each other, for he has witnessed them. For he has witnessed them. So I want to ask you a question. Where in your life have you made a commitment to others that you are thinking about breaking? Where in your life have you made a commitment to others and you're thinking about breaking it? It is very curious to me. See, I've got 25 years of pastoring Vanguard. And over the years, I've watched a lot of people come and go from Vanguard. And one of the conversations that I get into with people when they leave Vanguard uh, is I say to them, what is God doing in you? Where is God calling you? And a lot of times people will say, I don't know where God's calling me. I just know I'm supposed to leave. And I go, well, that's interesting because I don't find in Scripture that God calls people to go nowhere. Maybe you can show it to me. Maybe you can show to me where, uh, now, if somebody says, hey, God's called me to do this. God's called me to plant this church. God's called me to be a missionary. God's called me to go do this ministry. Okay, praise God. But God doesn't tell you to leave. He calls you to go. And you want to be very careful leaving somewhere because you don't want to fulfill the promises that you've made to those that you are in real relationship with. Amen? See, family's hard. You ever have hard weeks in your family? You ever have hard weeks in your marriage? You ever have hard weeks in your church, hard years, hard seasons? 
And see, the nation of Israel had hard times. And God said to them, I want you to be faithful to the promises that you've made to each other first. And see, what's interesting is, I find that when God's people stop being faithful to the promises that they've made to each other, they stop being faithful to the promises that they've made to Almighty God. And then when they justify leaving human relationships, then they begin to justify leaving the God calling that is on their life. And I want you to understand something. I'm not speaking as a novice. I've been doing this a long time. I know that I only look 25 years old, but I've actually been doing this for that length of time. And it is so very important. I went last night, Tasha and I did, uh, and Pastor Bob and Beverly Bender were here in the 11 o'clock service last Sunday. And Bob has been a very dear friend of mine, Josh Stevenson, a number of other people in the church. We played basketball together. And last night we honored Bob for 55 years, he and Beverly, of faithful pastoral service. Isn't that awesome? I'm only 51 years old. I said, Bob, you've been pastoring four years longer than I've been alive. I mean, think about that. And he said to us last night, there's only three things you need. He talks in a very deep voice, and he's very stern. You need persistence, perseverance, and prayer. And I was like, there you go. That really is all you need. Like, as you plot along in your life, I want to encourage you, take your commitments to human beings very seriously. Because if you don't, it will greatly affect your ability to take your commitment to God seriously. Those things go and walk hand in hand. So why does God judge us? Number one, because we're unfaithful to him and each other. There are times in which God will bring judgment into your marriage. Because he is not trying to get you to give up on your marriage. He's trying to get you to discover that he wants you to be more loyal to each other. You go, well, that's a strange way to do it. For whatever reason, it is suffering in this world that gets our attention to think about what matters to us. And let me just tell you something. I don't come back after a nine-week sabbatical, after 25 years of serving as your pastor. I don't come back like, woohoo, so naive to what I'm going to face. Like, I don't have naivete anymore. Like the longer that you walk in real relationship with human beings and with God, you have to have faith. You have to have trust because your naivete wears off. You say to yourself, I've heard that before, been there before, seen that before. But the reality is, see, God purifies us through these experiences. And that's what God did to me over these last nine weeks. God was purifying my heart to the promises I've made to people in my life and to the promises that I've made to God in my life. And I want to encourage you that if you are experiencing some judgment in your life and you go, well, I don't know if it's judgment from God, just assume it is. Just assume God is judging you right now and assume that he's trying to talk to you about the selfishness in your life and he's trying to get you to discover the importance of being faithful to the promises that you've made to each other and to him. Amen? Look at verse 3. So fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them. Isn't that awesome? I mean, look at it. Isn't it amazing? This is what dreams are. It's just going to be so perfect when I get there. But behind them, a desolate wilderness. 
and nothing escapes them. See, what's happening here is that God is saying to them, listen to me. I am going to take the blessings of your life, the Eden of your life, and I'm going to turn it into a desolate wasteland if you don't listen to me. The very blessings that I have given you, I am going to in turn use to bring curses. And this is tied to Deuteronomy 28, the covenant relationship that God made with Israel through Moses that goes back to Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then he says that I'm going to bless you in these ways. But if you don't listen to me, those very blessings are going to become curses. Now, I'm going to tread lightly here for a second, but I'm still going to tread, all right, because I'm a fool. Isn't it interesting that 9-11, the buildings that represented our economic success are now the very things that represent the ruin of our success? And isn't it interesting that those individuals chose that? And you say, well, what part does God play in that? First of all, IDK, I don't know. But I will say this, don't let it be lost on you. Don't let it be lost on you that as a nation, we are moving as a nation further and further away from the God who gave us the blessings that we have. Now, that's not to say that there aren't good things coming out of this season as well, because there are. There are. There are good things happening about issues of gender and issues of race that I think are important to the equation and the conversation. But there is a deterioration and a deconstruction of our society and a willingness to move away. Listen, every conversation that we have should move us closer to God. And if it doesn't, then we have to step back and ask the question, what is going on? Now, why does God judge us? He, look at Hebrews 12, 6. We talked about this a lot last week. God disciplines those he loves. Now, why? Why does God discipline us? Because he loves us. If God doesn't discipline you, he doesn't love you. If God doesn't discipline you, then you're not his child. And so where in your life is God disciplining you right now? I mean, I know where it is in my life. I know what he's talking to me in my life. I know what he's saying to me in my life. He describes the judgment. Look at verse 4. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, people are in anguish. All faces grow pale like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The judgment that God has for you, you cannot avoid. You can receive it with a spirit of rebellion, or you can receive it with a spirit of submission. But you will not escape the judgments that God determines for you 
to bring you back to the promises that you made to each other, to him and the love that he has for you. And so as God judges your life, you can try to avoid it. You say, what will he do? He'll stay after you. He will bring greater judgments into our lives. So what should we do? What should we do when we go, I think God may be judging my life right now. Here's what you do. You say to the Lord, Lord, I think you're judging my life right now. I trust your judgments, God. Now, I want you to let that one sink in for a second. I want you to incorporate into your real relationship with Jesus Christ this language. I trust you to judge me, Lord. Search me, O God. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me into the paths of everlasting life. And by the way, I'll give you a heads up. He's going to find some wicked ways in you. Not me. Okay, Peter. <laughs> I'll, not me, Lord. I won't deny you. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Put yourself out there. Tell yourself you won't be like anybody else. Tell yourself you don't have any wickedness in you. Go ahead, do that. That's fine. God still loves you too. And God will make sure and get your attention as well. Trust it. And not only trust it, but accept it. Say to the Lord, Lord, I trust your judgments, but not only do I trust them, I accept them. I accept them because I know they come from a place of love and I know that you wouldn't allow this judgment to come into my life unless you had something good for me. And so this week as I was walking out of my office, I was thinking about a situation in my life that was very irritating to me, that, that was very frustrating. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I trust that you're gonna bring good out of that. I trust. I trust you. I accept it. And how much happier and how much holier would your life be if you just accepted your life? If you said, Lord, I don't know why this is happening, but you're going to bring good out of it. And so I'm going to walk through this very painful reality. I'm not just going to judge the people that are causing me this pain, but I'm actually going to assume that somehow, some way, you're going to bring good out of it. So not only am I going to trust it and accept it, but here's what I'm going to do. While I go through the judgment of my life, I'm going to ask the Lord for mercy. Oh, Lord. I know I deserve judgment, but would you give me some mercy? Would you give me some mercy? Would you allow me to experience mercy in this situation, Lord, as I learn this lesson? And then last of all, not only do you trust it, accept it, and ask for mercy, but you turn back to the Lord and you say, Lord, if I have left you in any way, would you show that to me? Would you show that to me? Would you reveal yourself to me? So why does God judge us, number three? Because he wants us to return to him and each other. 
Lord, how have I left my spouse? How have I abandoned my family? How have I abandoned the church that you've called me to be a part of? How have I, how have I, how have I? What promises have I made that I've been unfaithful in that you want to talk to me about and you want to challenge me to turn and come back to you? See, I find in our marriages, it's like on our wedding day, we don't describe to each other uh, like our wish list. Like marriage doesn't work like this. We don't have a wedding day and, and like Tasha and I, we get married and, we, and I say, you know, Tasha, here's all the things I want you to do for me when we get married. And so I read off a list of things that you're going to do for me. And if you don't do them for me, I'm going to be disappointed in you and I'm going to let you know how much I don't like being married to you. No one wants a wedding day like that, right? No, what is a wedding day for? A wedding day is for two people to come together and say, let me tell you what I'm promising you. And nowhere in my vows, Ryan, did I say, and Tasha, I will be faithful as long as you do these three things, you know, and back and forth. Like it's a covenant relationship. Now I understand it takes two people to have a healthy marriage. I get that. I understand that. That's what the most precarious thing about a marriage is, right? You, you can't say, I just want you to know I got the best marriage. I got the best marriage. No. If it ain't we got the best marriage, I can assure you there's no I in marriage. It's we. We, we, we. Look at verse 8. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. Talking about the judgment. They burst through the weapons. And he's talking about a literal judgment, but there's a metaphorical day of the Lord uh, also imagery here. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. Whoa. They enter through the windows. Well, I'm going to keep my windows closed. Do you realize that the judgment of the Lord is very up close and personal? It is in your home. It is in your life. It is in the scent of your existence. They're going to enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. See, judgment is personal, it's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Through the course of my life, and, and this is a misnomer about judgment, you go, well, maybe you're not walking close with the Lord, and that's why the Lord had to judge you. Stop there just a second. What if... I'm actually walking as close as I've ever walked with the Lord, Marty. And now he wants to deal with the depth of my soul that I've never been mature enough for him to judge. Huh? See, we always look at life through this linear perspective that, hey, why am I being judged right now? Look how I've walked with the Lord. Maybe he needs to judge you to prepare you for a deeper walk. 
And if he gave you the blessing before he gave you the judgment, when he actually allowed it to occur in your life, you would step up and take credit for it. And it would become the very thing that destroys your life. And before he gives you the blessing, maybe he needs to give you the judgment. Now, we don't like to think like this. I don't like to think like this. I like to think, Bill, that, that God won't judge me at all as long as I'm obedient to him. But the reality is my obedience brings me to a deeper awareness of my sinfulness and my depravity. And when I get to that place, the Lord says, now let's deal with this. Let's root this out. Go, well, Lord, why do you have to do that to me? I'm, I'm being a good Christian. I'm doing everything you've asked me to do. And he's like, yes, but I want to bless you in greater ways. But before I can do that, we've got to dig some of those deeper-seated sinful roots out of your soul. Look at verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great, it's very awesome. Who can endure it? So we see his word, his voice. Who can endure it? Why does God judge us? Number four, because he wants us to grow in relationship with him. Because he wants us to grow in relationship with him. I believe, and this is just me, okay? I believe that a elk hit me this summer because God wanted to deal with some deeper places in my heart. You say, why do you think that? Because when I went back to our little pop-up camper, I couldn't sleep. I went to some of the darkest places of my life. The Lord met me there. And the next morning I began to worship the Lord in that little camper. And my son opened the door and he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm worshiping. And he came in, closed the door and sat down and watched me worship. And it was embarrassing. But in that moment, God began to heal things in me. See, you can't heal yourself. And see, there's going to be things that are going to happen in your future that are going to take you back to your past. And when those things happen, just worship. Just worship. Just say, Lord, I don't. I mean, come on, Lord. Just trying to get a little vacation, right? Do I need an elk in the middle of my, the hood of my truck? Is that really necessary? I mean, couldn't you give my attention some other way? And then, and this is the part I hate, and then the park ranger has to shoot the elk six times to kill it, and I have to be a part of that along with my family. It was a horrific, horrific moment. I mean, we won't ever forget that. And now I drive down the road and I'll look to the left and the reality is I'll hear the sound of that elk hitting my truck and I'll immediately jar back to the right thinking something's about to hit me again. And then it'll take me back to that moment of worship. And see, you get to decide where you go in the tragedies of your life. And if you decide to go back to the Lord and worship him, then he's going to talk to you about depths of your soul that he's never talked to you about. And he's going to heal you in ways you've never been healed before. And whether or not the people around you get healed or not, you're going to allow yourself to let go of those things and you're going to worship him. Amen? Some of you are not sure yet. That's okay. When we refuse to listen to God and come back to God, there are three things he has to teach us. 
He has to teach us. You ready? He has to teach us to hear his voice again. That's what it says here. His voice. He has to teach us to hear his word again. His word. You see that in the passage. And he has to teach us. You see that last part? Go back to that verse. He has to teach us who can endure it. See, you don't think you can endure what you're going through. And see, God sends judgment sometimes to show you that you can actually endure more than you thought you could and that he's preparing you for something greater that when you go into it, you will already have an example of how you've endured it and you'll be able to stand up against the attacks of the enemy. You say, well, how's this work? Here's how it works. The judgment of God cleans out your spiritual ears so you can hear his voice again. So whenever judgment comes into your life, don't look up and shake your fist at God. Look up and open your ears. And so I said to the Lord, when the elk hit our truck, I said, so what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to say to me, God? If you want to say something to me, say it. I am listening. And so he cleaned out my ears. Not only does he clean out your ears to hear his voice with judgment, but second of all, he cleans out, you ready? He cleans out your heart. You say, how come? To receive his word again. That's what's happening in this verse. I want you to see this. This is the most important verse we're looking at today. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great, for he who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? What he's saying is, do you understand that all judgment is for the purpose of you hearing my word, receiving it into your heart? You say, well, then what's the third thing? Well, see, the Lord teaches us his power. And you can read in the Old Testament. Do you realize that at any moment, God can send a wild animal to eat you alive? Do you understand this? Do you understand that whatever moment God wants to kill you, he can? Do you understand that? Like, do you live with that reality that the God of the universe is going to determine when your lights are turned out? And, and do you realize that he talks to animals? He talks to the world. He controls everything. You say, well, what about the things that he allows? We can get into all that, but God is sovereign. He's sovereign. And see, I was not trying to hit that elk. I would have loved to have avoided that elk, but he hit me. Out of, a, out of a line of cars, he picked me. Why didn't you pick me? And see, I go all the way back to March 6, 1992. My mama, she pulled off on the side of the road. She was trying to get out of the way of the drunk driver that went down in the ditch, but he came back up, cars everywhere, and he drove over the top of only her car. She was sitting completely still, completely off the road. She had done everything she could do to avoid getting hit by that individual. 
Do you understand that there are things that are going to happen in your life that God allows that you're not ever going to fully understand? But if you will open your heart and allow God to speak to those areas of your life, he will use those as vehicles of cleansing. And here's what he will do. He will cleanse your mind and your emotions. And this is the third thing that judgment does. It teaches you that he is unlimited in his power and authority. And you are very limited in yours. Amen? You say, I'm not sure about that. Well, let me just give you some advice. Have children. Amen? Yes. Return to the Lord, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. How do you return to the Lord with all your heart? Fasting, weeping, mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Did you catch that? God doesn't want your wallet if he's not going to get your heart. If you don't believe in the mission of anger, don't give your money. We don't want your money if we don't have your heart. If you don't believe in this mission, don't give. Don't give because you're incurring greater judgment on your life from God Almighty. Rend your heart before you rend your stuff to God. That's what he's saying. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious, he's merciful. Listen, the Lord is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. That's, I love that. He relents. He wants to relent. That's his heart. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent. Leave a blessing behind him. Yes. Oh, Yes a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Why does God judge us? Number five, because he wants, you ready? He wants to bless us again. Whatever you're going through right now, he's wanting to bless you again. Don't give up, don't give in, don't give out. He's not judging you to destroy you. He's judging you to restore you. I want to say that again. He's not judging you to destroy you. He's judging you to restore you. Look at verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room, the bride or chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord. Make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? What he's saying here is, when things come, weep and say, Lord, we need you. Verse 18, the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I am sending to you a grain, wine, and oil. You will be satisfied. I love that. If you will turn and repent to God for the dissatisfaction in your life, he is going to bless you in a way that you will finally truly be satisfied. 
I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I'll remove the northerner far from you, drive him to a parched and desolate land. His, somebody say it, his what? Oh, his vanguard into the western, into the eastern sea. God's vanguard is greater than the enemy's vanguard. That's the point. His rear guard into the western sea, the stench and foul smell of him who will raise, for he's done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, and the trees bear its fruit, and the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication." He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the yesterday rain. That was yesterday, right? By the way, it doesn't rain like it did yesterday here very often. That missed rain, that's, that was weird for, uh, for us Coloradans. It usually beats us in the head for about 10 minutes, right? And then it's done or it, or it does crazy other stuff. That was a That was a very beautiful rain yesterday that God was given, a very gentle rain. Look at verse 25. I'm going to restore you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. You know what the Lord says? Don't worry about being a knucklehead. Just repent. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you, you go, oh, I'm such an idiot. God does not judge you so you can realize you're an idiot. He judges you so you can stop being an idiot. But God doesn't judge you so you'll go, he thinks I'm an idiot. No, he wants you to stop being an idiot. So just say to him, Lord, forgive me for being an idiot. And the Lord says, here's all the blessings I got for you. Here's all the blessings I got in your marriage for you. Here's all the blessings I've got for you in your family. Here's all the blessings I've got for you in your church. I'm going to restore what the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. Did you catch that? Oh, Lord. I want you to see those words again. My great army, which I sent among you. Do you know what God's saying in this verse? Why did the locusts destroy the good of their lives? Because they sinned against God and wouldn't repent. So God sent the locusts to eat their blessings, to get their attention, to discipline, so they'd come back to him. So why does God judge us? Number six, because he wants us to know his love for us. You ready? He wants us to know that his love for us exceeds his judgment. God loves me more than he wants to judge me. And dads, I want to tell you something. That has been my goal as a dad of five children is that I want my children to know I love them more than I want to judge them. So dads, listen to me. Once you bring judgment into your children's lives, you need to get up out of it. And you need to love them. You need to love them. Amen? 
You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. So you mean to tell me, as I was reading this, so you mean to tell me, Lord, that you judge me ultimately for one final purpose and it's so I know that you are among me that you're with me, that your presence is in my life. And so you judge me ultimately for one supreme purpose to get my attention that your presence is the most important thing about my life. Amen? Amen? Come on, amen? The Lord does not judge us so that we live in the absence of his presence. He judges us so that we can live in a greater awareness of his presence and be released from all the brokenness of our existence so that we can enjoy the blessings that we screwed up. That's his promise for us. I believe this is one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Bible. And if you can actually apply what we're talking about today, it will change the rest of your life. I believe that's how serious it is. If you can understand the judging hand of the Lord is for the purpose of releasing greater presence of his intimate devotion to you. He sent you to jail so that you and he could spend time together. Not so you could realize how horrible of a person you are, but so that you could realize that he has so much for you. You ready? Then you have for yourself. That's love. That's love. So number seven, why does he judge us? Because he wants to restore his presence in our lives. So one final question, we'll pray. Say to the Lord today when we go into communion, where in my life am I ignoring, not inviting, or need your presence to be welcomed in? Where? Where? And I have a sneaky suspicion, you ready? It's tied to a human relationship in your life. Because when we get real with him, we get real with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm going to be honest. I've been giddy ever since I wrote this message. I couldn't wait to give this message. This is the heart of the Father for his children. And I believe that if we can grasp this, it is life-changing. It is relationally changing. It is marriage-changing. It is family-changing. And so, Lord, we know that the evil spirits come through the window sometimes. And it's personal. And they attack. And we can focus on the attack or we can lift our eyes a little higher and we can read as I read in the Psalms this morning, the Lord will protect us from all of our enemies. 
You go, well, what about your mom? I trust the Lord. Well, that's foolish. Yep. That's what Paul said. He chooses the foolish to confound the wise. I will live all my days being a fool for my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, come on, and all God's children said, amen. Love you. God bless you. Tasha. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.